Welcome to the Sheila Palmer Extractive Podcast. Today I have my friend Sandy Stash. Sandy is a petroleum engineer by training with more than 40 years in the business of uh, mining and petroleum operations all over the world. She's also a non-executive uh, director on a number of energy companies in North America. She has worked in mining across six uh, continents. Sandy is recognized for her unique capabilities in bridging the extractive sector to external stakeholders in government, civil society, and at community level. And so I thought it worth uh, speaking to Sandy about the subject of ESG, extractives and community relations. Sandy, welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. And thank you, Sheila. I'm really, really excited about being part of, of your efforts here. Uh, and, and yes, indeed, I, I have spent um, the better part of almost 40 years now uh, in this space, both in, in mining and in um, in um, oil and gas. And, and I think, um, you know, and I'll speak to this a little bit more later, but I've had an experience uh, somewhat early in my career of, um, I call it the unmining of the um, anaconda mining company at one time, one of the largest um, copper producers in the world. And, and I think that really set the stage for me on the importance in extractives in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of business um, to, to develop um, a system and a way of working with community that is effective. So I'll be um, very happy to share some of my experiences with you over the course of the next 30 minutes. That's fantastic. So let's just you know, start with this, you know, extractive projects are typically associated with providing potential economic benefits to communities. How realistic is this association expectation that extractive projects will impact the economies of uh, communities? I, th I think it's a very, very realistic um, expectation and, and reality. And, and I think a lot of it just has to do with the scope and scale of extractives, um, you know, by their very nature. Uh, and, and I think importantly, um, it lends itself either to meaningful shared economic benefits or the opposite. <laughs> and, um, and, and I personally believe that the opposite is no longer acceptable to, to companies, to governments, to employees, and to communities. Um, and, and, and I have just maybe a little bit of a funny anecdote on this, and, and, and um, I, I know you'll appreciate this given, given your background in history. I'm, I like to call it the three E's, but you know, years ago, um, you know, in, the, in this space, I, I think companies oftentimes, you know, with a tad bit of arrogance, I'll add, had an idea that in, in, their, react, or in their relationships with communities, they needed to educate them about the industry. Um, uh, and I remember, you know, maybe about 30 years ago, sitting on a panel and, and, and just cringing uh, when one of my panel kept referring to the fact that we needed to educate the community. I think that that then, um, you know, sort of morphed into my second E, um, which is a kind of a concept of engagement. And, and, and I think while it moved the needle in this space, I, I think oftentimes that, that was just a little bit either transactional or, or frankly, a little bit too light touch. Um, and I like to think now, um, to be good at this, companies need to move to a mindset um, of full enrollment where all of the stakeholders, you know, develop real partnerships, um, you know, and, 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 and real partnerships, not just to get the project, quote unquote, off the ground, but indeed um, to, 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 to build those partnerships in a way in the beginning so that they stand the test of times 
through the operating phase and even through closure. So I, I think um, I think the benefits are there, but you need to think about it ahead of time. Hmm. So so really, uh, what you're saying is you can't take uh, it for granted that the benefits will become manifest. They have Absolutely. to be grounded in planning right from the get-go and an understanding of what you call the three uh, E's, which is to say, uh, you know, you would move from attempting to educate to, in effect, engaging, but now enrolling fully, which implies everybody uh, on board and hands on deck. Now, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and again, in the beginning, the middle, and the end of, of the business. In other words, uh, what in the industry we call the project life cycle, uh, it's not something you do once. You you not only do throughout, but you you tailor it uh, to be consistent with that scale that you were talking about, uh, depending on where we are in the life cycle, right? Absolutely. Right. So, uh, I mean, it's one thing to talk about economic benefits, you know, um, can you perhaps give us an indication of the common economic benefits uh, and how these filter down to communities? Yeah, and, and, and let me break this into sort of um, what I'll call more the shorter term, immediate term, kind of project uh, oriented, and then the longer term focus. I mean, I mean the obvious in the short term is um, fair, compensation for access and impacts. And, um, um, you know, it, I mean, that, that, that should be just baseline given. The second is direct local employment. And um, in my experience, um, this should be expansive. Um, you know, and, and frankly, this goes beyond the, the easy bits um, as far as hiring local security or local support services but should be thought about at a local and even national level as far as the talents that are out there for direct local employment. The third is obviously um, investment in local service and goods supplier. And, and um, we'll, I know we'll have an opportunity to speak a little bit more um, granularly about that later, but that's also a given and must be done early on. And finally, um, investment in capacity building and education. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, point out a nuance here, to build a future-facing workforce. And what I mean by that is, and, and by the way, there's a theme that's going to run through my comments today, almost taking it out of the tactical um, sort of, I need two engineers and a geologist and 10 security guys, you know, a, a very much a tactical, to a more strategic, so that that future-facing workforce will be able to serve not only the company, but the communities into the future. And, 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 and the importance of that is, is it needs to start early, um, you know, as far as even, even the education and, and the, the, the types of skills that are in the community or in the country and thinking strategically and thinking for the long-term. Mm. The, and then, you know, moving into the, the longer term, um, and, and there's there's some some terms that are even we kind of I think discussed and I think there's a lot more to come of it even in the coming years. The first is is a concept of of community re, um, revenue sharing and and I know um, I had an experience with this actually with my previous employer um, who had long experienced in Africa one Sheila that that I know you know in in Tullow Oil and 
I know when we were um, in, in the, the early days of discussing potential for um, a development in, in, in the country of, of Kenya, um, there was some very good progress, I thought, and, and I've, I've, to be honest, lost track of it a little bit, but wherein um, revenue sharing went beyond the, the usual construct of company and national government to include a, a, a more holistic um, solution on revenue sharing that involved the national, the county level, which in, which in Kenya is, is sort of a provincial level, and then the community. And, and I think that's I think that's a potentially I think a trend for big extractive projects, both in oil and gas and mining, uh, moving forward. The mm. second thing that you hear a lot about now is um, one of actual shared equity. And, and I'll speak a little bit later to a company I'm currently involved in, uh, in, in sitting on their board, um, but very much, for instance, a, a, a conversation right now in, in um, Canada uh, as it relates to um, First Nations and Indigenous. And, and the idea that um, the, the, the country, the, the communities should actually, and I think particularly the communities should, um, you know, potentially, and, and even perhaps from the very beginning, have an equity stake in what is being developed. Because as you know, for these large projects, um, the development alone is, is many, many times billions of, of US dollars. And, and I think the third thing on the longer term is um, a kind of a concept of long-term planning to kind of future, what I'm calling, gonna call future-proof the local economy because the, the extractives are wonderful, but they don't last forever. And um, you know whether it's a ten-year life cycle or a hundred-year cycle, a mine or an oil and gas um, uh, field um, ceases to be economic. So I think there's something about um, future-proofing the um, investment in the social and economics of a community to be sure that it's set up for success even after the life of the project. So kind of a short term and a long term with maybe a little bit of blending there in the middle. <laughs> so yeah it's uh so i guess listening to you i'm reminded of that evolution starting with education to engagement and then enrollment uh i, I see that also in how you stack up these benefits they, they can be very rudimentary but what you're saying is what we are learning progressively is that they can be more robust uh, moving from just provision of employment uh, to what you call future-facing workforce, uh, but also to uh, revenue sharing as well as equity. And so we are seeing really not just this, the scaling up of the benefit, but a, a dynamic in terms of uh, the vehicles by which communities benefit, which is far uh, different from the traditional way. And so I, I should ask you, when you think about this, because in a way you've, you've answered uh, a question I was going to ask on ways of improving. If you think of uh, this evolution, how do you see the initiatives fitting into the ESG uh, framework uh, versus the traditional uh, corporate social responsibility approach? Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic question. In fact, um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't I don't use the CSR term very much at all because I I think that 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 sort of phase dealt more almost from the aspect of I think kind of starting with almost philanthropy 
um, to to a very transactional, you know, sort of a sort of way of thinking about an interaction between um, a, a company or an investor and um, local communities. I, I actually think ESG um, it, it should almost, or, or I should say, what this conversation should almost be the essence of 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 good ESG. Um, and and you know, I, again, my another little um, I, I do everything in threes in my life, but um, you know, I I I have an opportunity oftentimes to speak with um in groups of young engineers. And, and, and a little anecdote I always share is, you know, back when I was in college, um, you know, ESG wasn't a thing. I mean, no, no one talked about it. It wasn't even on the table. And then I think there was a phase, and, and I will call this kind of the CSR phase, where um, um, you had, a, you know, you had the people at the, the, the big people table that were, you know, developing the project, designing the project, constructing the project. And you had this little group of, of specialists off to the side. And their job was basically to do whatever they needed to do with the communities to kind of clear the path so that this big project could go through. Um, what I oftentimes tell anyone who will listen to me, but particularly groups of, of, of young engineers that will be the future developers in, in all of this in, 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 in the years to come is, I actually think ESG now is the thing. And and you know and, and you know you know just to sort of put it in the negative, if you look at at, at failures, um, you know the big failures that that you know are splashed all over the global news, they're never about you know you know did did somebody get their efficiencies right or did you know you know did you know did somebody you know tweak their EBITDA enough to make? It's always about stuff, frankly, that's in this space, whether it's an oil spill or it's a product recall, or it's whatever happened at, at Volkswagen, um, the failures tend to be in that ESG space. So, uh, you know, what I like to tell young engineers is, you know, all of all of what you do, you know, is important as far as the development, but ESG has got to be the thing, because I, I just think that's future facing, and I think you don't have to look too far back in history to realize it's always been the thing, we just didn't recognize it. Yeah, or oh, oh, for that matter, I'm called by a different name, because I remember, uh, when I was in the industry and, and would go to the mines and find our geologists and geotechnical scientists and engineers, and they were very focused on what you and I know as traditional performance indicators in the production space, uh, cost of production ratio, all those things, stripping ratio. And if they got that right, they felt that they had cracked the business. And I used to remind them that, you know, all that engineering space is essential, it's core. But it's really back room. It's what we do uh, in the face of the public and the markets that matters. That's where the business is. And that it's important for them to connect what they do with the business impact. And in a way, I think uh, ESG is that bridge where it's no longer just about the engineering processes and the science uh, or the legal aspects for that matter. It is really, you know, in the end, what is your value proposition to the world? What are you going to say to the world and the stakeholders when all said and done? So I, I agree with you fully. Uh, engineers need to re-engineer literally the way that they see their workspace. But I, I do have to ask you, you know, you spoke earlier about partnerships and recognize that, you know, the work uh, mining and oil companies do with communities is a partnership, not just with the communities, but the governments. But what you didn't say was, whose baby is it to fry? And that's to say, who initiates these initiatives? Is, is it the responsibility of the company? Or for that matter, is it the ask 
of the government saying we need this or the communities. Where do we start in constructing uh, these economic uh, community, uh, yeah, you know, initiatives absolutely. that benefit the community? No, absolutely a, a fantastic question and a, a kind of a strange answer. Um, I actually think it's the company and, and it's a simple answer. The company is the one who wants to do something in somebody else's place. <laughs> And, you know, and as such, if not initiated by the company, um, I, I, I don't know what the impetus would be to, to look to the government to do that. And, and I think I, I think secondly, and, and this is where I kind of find the, the irony in, in all of this conversation, um, companies and, and, you know, ones that you and I have been involved with, and I think just throughout the extractive space, spend man decades, man decades on the planning and the strategizing and bringing in the experts, et cetera, very early on to even see if there's an economic project to be had. And once they view that there is an economic project, and, and back to my, my poking uh, fun at some of my, my fellow engineers, there's this concept that, that's grown over the course of the last you know, several decades of feed or front end, front end engineering and design. The mm -hmm. idea that you put you know, 90% in your effort in the first 10% so that you're getting a, a project that's so well thought out and so well planned and so well negotiated with all of the experts, et cetera, et cetera, that it's set up to succeed. I think it's just taking that concept, that business concept, and and, and just saying, why isn't ESG just part of that? It, it's, it's just another business objective. It's just another business necessity. It's just another business deliverable. It's 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 just part of what's going to make this successful, just like the metal or the oil in the rock and 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 the engineering design of the equipment. And, and as I said earlier, often the time it's where it falls on its 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 face. So I think a lot of it is is, and it's why I I sort of said a little tongue in cheek that it is the thing. It, it's 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 a thing that just has to be integrated into the way companies approach projects, plan projects, execute projects, run businesses, and close them down. It's just another business thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And it needs to be at the, we can speak a bit about this later, but it, it needs to be at the big people table. It can't be that group of 10 people off to the side. You know, again, gone are the days of, you know, just, 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 uh, just deal with these issues for me so I can go forward with all this other business stuff. It has to be integrated into the, with the, the rest of the business stuff as part of the, a part of the big picture. Hmm. So, of course, it, it's one thing, uh, even with the best uh, project skills, uh, and, and, you know, for oil and gas and mining projects, you know, project design and project execution is the core business. So there's a lot of skills, there's a lot of people, to your point, who have been doing this for centuries, albeit with different forms of technology and systems. But even with that, you and I know things can go badly wrong. So I wanted you to talk to us about some of the problems associated with administering this uh, new approach to supporting communities or be it with business or education for that matter. What are some of the potential derailment factors? 
Yeah, no, a really great question, and 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 you know, you know, you know, obviously, anytime you're you're gathering groups of mold, you know, lots of different stakeholders, there's going to be give and take and and negotiations, whatever. But to be honest with you, um, in my experience, um, the the problems oftentimes start and end with um, internal to the corporations or the companies themselves, and and I think first, um, and and I've spoken about this already. Um, leaders, project leaders, executive leaders, boards that don't see the community investment as part of the quote unquote real work. Um, I like to say it is the real work. And, and, and certainly in my experience, sometimes it's more the real work than even the, the building, whatever needs to be built to, to do the extraction. Secondly, um, I think both on the ground leadership, I'll, I'll say kind of project directorate and, 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 and the guys in the field and the executives at the top of the house where, the, where it's sort of the proverbial buck stops are actually not held to account for the success or failure of the ESG aspects of, of a project development of a business the same way they would for business metrics like cost scheduled efficiency. Um, you know, you know, oftentimes, and you'll see this, and I know you've looked at, at, you know, hundreds of different sets of KPIs or whatever, there tends to be the real business metrics. And then you have some more qualitative, you know, softer, um, more ESG metrics, rather than, again, elevating the measures for, for ESG performance, um, you know, you know, you know, right up there with the business, the other business imperatives. Uh, and help, and then I think finally, both at the the project level, um, and at the um, at the executive and the board level, um, you know, defining what success and failure looks like, and holding holding ourselves to account. And again, I you know I I have the um, the tremendous pleasure right now of serving on the board of the Trans Mountain Company, and this is a you know a a you know you know multi billion dollar um pipeline that's being built built from um Edmonton Alberta to um on um, the coast of Canada the west coast of Canada be or sorry west coast of Canada Burnaby um British Columbia we are interacting with about 100 different first nation bands multiple communities uh the project is actually currently owned uh by the government of Canada so it's a very very complex um, you know, stakeholder um, stakeholder landscape. The difference, and and I think it's I, I'll, in fact I'll say to all of your listeners, um, sort of watch this space over the next couple of years. Um, uh, our success um, it, through the leadership, primarily of, of, of our CEO um, uh, Ian Ian Anderson, and now uh, Ian, you know, and, and now Don Farrell. Um, the the work that we've done um, on the ground with all of the stakeholders. Uh, and and I think importantly, holding ourselves to account on the ESG aspects as much as we do the project delivery um, is creating something really unique and special. And, and, I, and I think it's the direction of travel uh, for future extractive projects. Hmm. So you, you, you are right, actually, in uh, pointing two things. One, that if it isn't uh, measured and then rewarded, uh, it, it becomes marginal. And, and I think... To the extent that uh, executives are not held to the same standard of performance and rewarded, or for that matter, you know, any punitive action, then that already means that the issue is not going to get enough attention. 
people need to know that it matters, not just to their careers, but also to the performance and the brands of the companies. When they know this and when they know somebody in the boardroom is watching them, then, you know, they have a spring in their walk. The other thing that you said is is that, uh, you know, some of the issues may be ill-advisedly considered soft. I'm reminded of a statement that I, I don't know which major oil company it is, so I, I'm not going to hazard a guess. But I remember 20 years ago, a CEO of an oil company saying that the mistake people make is to think uh, what we now call ESG issues are soft. And that not only are they not soft but hard, but they are harder on the people who make the mistake of thinking they are soft. Because by the time they find out they are not soft, the damage is done. So, so, so I think the world has come a long way, but you know, there's that increasing realization. But talking of success, because you 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 tie uh, the execution around um, ESG and the communities to not only the future of what the world is going to become, but you tie it to the success of the company. So tell me then, what? does success in the space of community relations and the benefits that extractive companies can bring to them look like? What is it? How do we know we have succeeded? Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's truly um, shared benefits. In, in other words, um, the goodness, uh, economically, socially, et cetera, that that come out of um, come out of an investment of the size and scale of a major project, um, it, it's 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 actually moving the community forward. And, and, and by the way, that's true. I think in any jurisdiction, in, in an investment in a you know in a community in a, in a in the developed world, uh, you know, a, a big investment coming into the community only works if um, the benefits, um, you know, the, the pluses of the project. Are, are spread throughout all of of the affected parties. You know the the investors, the employ the investor, the the employees, the community, uh, you know local governments, um, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I mean that that's what success looks like, and it looks like that again at sort of the the beginning, the middle, and the end, which is why this needs tending. And in fact, it's funny, Sheila. It's it's why it, I um I I I sometimes worry um that. Uh, companies consider um, socioeconomic investment or ESG uh, as a a program, and and the reason I react to that is is programs bring to mind almost again that old philanthropic model where uh, uh, you know an investor or a company commits to three years of in, you know investment in a certain program, and that money sort of you know comes and then it goes etc. It shouldn't be this way. This should be again that that long term commitment to the partnership to make sure that the balance stays right among among um, you know the the affected parties. I mean, I think there's I think there's something I think there's something to that um, where this this sort of stays live through um, you know through, through the course of uh, the course of of the business, and and um, and and it. You know, and, and again, I think that all I think setting the conversation correctly in the beginning on how that is going to work is is critical. So I, I think that that's what success looks like. Um, I also think, you know, I think what success looks like inside of the company 
at is that this is owned the same way as every other business metric. Um, you know, you, you can't just hold um, a supply chain group accountable for local content. You need to hold the uh, the project directorate accountable because they're the ones that are actually sending them spending the money, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it you know again that sort of holistic uh, partnership approach also needs to exist with inside the uh, the corporation. Hmm. With a few minutes remaining, uh, I want to ask you, it, it sounds like a lot of resource and skills that are not necessarily core to the business of, uh, you know, petroleum or extraction and marketing uh, and the business of uh, mining. How do corporations ensure they have the right skills uh, to succeed with uh, the work of ensuring uh, equitable benefits with communities? Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, um, the, you know, the companies need to resource those skills. And, and, and I actually think uh, companies in, in, in both types of extractive companies we've been talking about have been, have been getting pretty good at that. However, again, I think oftentimes it's still viewed as a little bit of an adjunct. It, it's not part of that larger business conversation um, so, so I think, I think first and foremost, the right skills, um, secondly, that it's part of the business, um, you, you know, not, 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 not an add on. And then thirdly, I think there's, there's a concept of what I'll call shared accountability, because if the entire executive team or the entire project team or the entire board is not as measured uh, by and committed to this aspect of the business as they are as others, it's simply not going to happen. And, and again, qualitatively, um, you know, measured, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, failures closely looked at so that that the business can adjust. This is just yet another aspect of business and another metric. So I think if companies, um, you know, source the diversity they need to be good at this. Um, and then structure themselves carefully and then hold themselves to account as individuals as, and as a collective, um, you will be successful. And, and I think taking that either one step further, I think the multilateral discussion um, among all of the stakeholders, uh, be it government, communities, company and everything else, I think that sort of shared vision, shared accountability will also be what sets um, sets sets the business up for success inside of, of, of the country or the jurisdiction or the community such that um, benefits can actually be shared in a in, in a um, in a correct and in a fair way. Fantastic. Well, that's a good note to end what will not that be one of many conversations. Sandy, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. All right. Well, thank you for having me, Sheila, and have a wonderful evening.